Kevin Markwick.
Talking Heads, of course. Psycho Killer. Here we go again, then. Can you hear me, Mother? Uh, thank you, Adrian, for that uh, previously-based soul show. That made no sense at all, did it? Sorry, everyone. So tonight we've got a very special show. Uh, we have a very special guest, Jerry Rothwell, acclaimed filmmaker of note. He's looking at me funny. Documentary filmmaker, uh, Deep Water, Heavy Low, Donor Unknown. The list has one more on it. <laughs> but he's picked all the music as well. So uh, tonight you will be hearing from Pulp, Robert Johnson, John Martin. Uh, Animal Collective, Bob Dylan, Nick Drake. We won't get all of this in. We won't get all of this in, of course. Um, the Jam, hopefully. Fella Cootie, David Bowie, Philip Glass. I do actually know a Philip Glass joke. There aren't many of those about. Uh, Pixies, Nick Cave. And lots and lots to talk about on the movie front. Music from, uh, ooh, Sideways, Spinal Tap, Conversation, Babel, or as in my American cousins say, Babel. So sit back, relax, enjoy. Here's the Smiths. Panic on the streets of London Panic on the streets of Birmingham I wonder could life ever be sane again? The lead side streets that just slip down. I wonder to myself. Hopes may rise in the grass here. But honey pie, you're not safe here. So you run down to the safety of the town. But the panic on the streets of Carlisle. Dublin, Dundee. I wonder to myself Burn down the disco Hand the best DJ Because the music that they constantly play Nothing to me about my life And the blessed DJ Because the music that constantly play On the lead side streets it just slip down The provincial towns it jog round I'm the DJ, I'm the DJ, I'm the DJ I'm the DJ, I'm the DJ, I'm the DJ The Smiths from Nyin 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 Nyin. 
Do you remember what it was? No. Uh, <laughs> Mrs. Murder, I think. Was it me? No, was oh, it no, Mrs. Murder? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, so welcome, Jerry. Jerry Rothwell, acclaimed filmmaker of uh, documentary films and local. Um, what would you say? Local uh, resident. Yeah. Yeah. Where are you living good, now? Good You're to in... be here. I'm just I'm five miles down the road from oh, Whitefield. Well, yeah. That's great. So. That's great. So. Um, we're going to talk about music. We're going to talk about films. Um, so, what uh, g- can you give people a bit of a quick background? Your background, um, documentary. Oh, I, I kind of got into into making docs quite late. You know, sort of, right. I don't know, early forties really. By the time I was sort of doing, but then since then I've done four feature docs, uh, which you mentioned at the start. Yes, which missing is one, which can't remember which. But, funny, yeah. uh, and um, yeah, Rose. and I'm now kind of uh, that's that's sort of what so I do. Really. Feature docs aren't the uh, you know they're not the road to riches are they really they're not really no, no i've discovered that um but I mean, they are they are sort of a you know they take you into all around the world into people's lives who you'd never meet it's a very exciting you know way to live so yeah so presumably then it's not um the you're stripped of most of your vanity presumably when you're making documentaries in that way it's not it's not no it's not like a um how can i explain uh, you know, you're not doing it for the kudos necessarily. You're doing it because of the the stories are interesting and yeah, I think so. I mean, f- film generally has this yes. hugely disproportionate amount of uh, sort of feedback and praise. For yes, small I suppose do. it does. So, so you it? still yes. you still get talking, that. Yeah, talking utter nonsense, <laughs> yeah. of course. No, it's true. It's true. <laughs> no, no, you're yeah. absolutely right. No, no, and and yes, presumably when you put something out there, whatever it is. You are looking for some kind of reaction, aren't you? I suppose. Yeah, yeah. We want people to see it. Yeah, of course you do. (laughs) Yeah. See, this is the trouble with making me making things up as I go along. But um, so, uh, what are you working on at the moment? Uh, I'm doing. I've made the mistake. You always have to do a a couple of films at the same time with docs because you you can't really earn a living. They take a long time to make, and you can't really earn a living just by doing one at a time. But I've got myself in a situation where I'm doing three documentaries at the moment, uh, all pretty much at the same stage of shooting. So, so one's about the founders of Greenpeace. I can tell you a bit about that. Uh, One's about wine fraud. Okay, we'll get onto that. And another's about uh, a, a sort of experimental education project in India. Oh, okay. So that means really shooting around all over the world. Yeah, yeah. Trying to keep... uh, um, Three different time zones. So presumably you have quite a lot of uh, crew on there, quite a lot of staff? No, tiny, tiny. It's really just me, (laughs) a camera and a sound recordist, a producer who who I've been working with. But how do you keep control of what... How do you you keep a tab on what I need to go and shoot here in India, what I need to go Mm. and shoot over... Is it California or...? Uh, Yeah, Canada. Yeah, Canada, California, and what I need to go and shoot uh, Um, uh, Pussy Riot. Yes, try and write it, (laughs) write it down. Is the answer because yeah, right. my memory's like a sieve. So you know, end of each day, I try and write down what what I need to film next yeah, time. Yeah, because your I mean, your films are quite wide ranging, aren't they? In their subject matter. Yeah. Do you think no... there's any kind of th- have you have you um, looked for a theme? Yeah, I mean, I think that well, they're all they're all sort of you know a bit from the bottom up. So I try and try and do stuff that's that's sort of yes. from it doesn't involve experts. It's very much sort of people's experience. Yes. Yeah, as, as you as you see. Okay, so. Um, all right. um, and, and I guess they're all slightly outsiders, I think. Yes, I suppose, yes, deep water would be, wouldn't it? 
heavy load, which we'll get onto. Um, Donor Unknown, which is fascinating, absolutely fascinating, uh, wonderful film. Town of Runners, are they outsiders? Not so, not so much. That's the documentary uh, yeah, about the yeah, uh, town yeah. w which produces all of these tremendous, uh, they're distance runners, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's a small village in sort of 10,000 feet up in the Ethiopian mountains yeah. where this coach who started off as a primary school teacher is yeah. gradually kind of... Uh, Yes, well, r rather than um, uh, firing yeah. off in all directions, which I want to do, um, well, let's play some music. We're going to Buzzcocks. You picked pick Buzzcocks. Any particular reason? Just it came uh, up on your oh, iTunes. This is, well, no, yeah, no, I'm not going to ask. I'm not going. I'm not going to interrogate this you. This is about my courting music. song. I think is it's it? not a very good courting song. It happens to be my words, daughter's <laughs> favourite song. She's what twenty so four. And this seems to be happening a lot, you know. This kind of there's a there's a lot of uh, and the Cure and these bands are still still hanging on yeah. in there, aren't they? Uh, and it doesn't does it date? I don't think it dates. Or no. is it that we're old? It doesn't date. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, this is the Buzzcocks.
distant echo of faraway voices boarding faraway trains to take them home to the ones that they love and who love them forever. The Christ that he steps, repeat my own and reflect my thoughts. Calling and inviting, partially naked, for so far. Toffee rappers and a smallest papers, Mr. Jones got run down. Headlines of death and sorrow, they tell of tomorrow. Madman on the rampage, and I'm down in a Tuesday sun of midnight. Fumble for change Pull out the queen Smiling, beguiling I put in the money And pull out a plum Behind me Whispers in the shadows Crop blazing voices Hating, waiting Hey boy, hey shout Have you got any money? And I say, I'm gonna take money and I take away curry. I'm on the way home to my wife. She's been running up the country and now she's expecting me. Polishing her glasses and pulling out the coke. I'm down in a Tuesday shirt at midnight. I first felt a fist and then a kick. Now smell their breath The smell of pubs And wormwood scrubs And too many right-wing meetings My life swam around me It took a look and drowned me In its own existence The smell of brown leather Even in him with the weather Though my eyes is not a mother Love to my sex is good going <laughs> we're on the air now does right. it keep going i don't know i think it just keeps just like mind the gap <laughs> so down in the tube station at midnight from the jam you're a bit of an old punk then at heart okay i, I guess i was sort of you know 15 in 1977 and that was when you sort of that, that was yeah. the music that was around at that time yeah. so where were you living when you were 15 Ooh, i was in london yeah you were in london yeah 
Because you were saying that you grew up in Nairobi. In, 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 in Nairobi. Yeah, my dad was in the Air Force. and uh, so, so when I was about four, he was posted to Kenya. And we had five years. So between sort of four and ten, I was, I was living in Nairobi. Yeah. In Nairobi. They're quite formative years, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that must have had quite an impact on you. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Is this why you go back to some of the, like, these African or continent? Yeah, you know, may- maybe, things, yeah. I mean, the, the film I just made, Town of Runners, that was the first time I'd really gone back to... Oh, it was. And, and, right. Uh, yeah, fantastic, fantastic experience. So let's talk about your first film as director. Yeah. How did that happen? Um, well, Deep I sort Water. Of, uh, we, I came across uh, or a producer who's been my producer ever since, Al Morrow, uh, came across a book about uh, Donald Crowhurst called The Strange Last Voyage of Donald Crowhurst. Yes. Which is this... Um, book by two Sunday Times journalists they wrote it immediately after the events you know mm. within a couple of months and had done this amazing piece of detective work uh, and it told this very strange story of this guy who took part in a, the first sort of round the world non-stop round the world sailing race who disappeared um, and when his boat was found no one on it and and gradually these journalists pieced together that he'd um, he'd started to fake his journey around the world um, and had ended up sort of sitting in the Atlantic for six months yeah, um, out of contact with everyone. And, and that, chilling. That, that was, you know, it was a fascinating story. So. It is, and told so well, because actually you had very little footage to work on, didn't you? Yeah, he took a um, he took a sixty mil camera from the BBC, but of course, because mm. he was faking where he was, he couldn't really film very much. No, he sort of would film stuff to to make it look like other things. Yeah. So there was there yeah, there was very little. I mean, we sort of made the film out of that archive, um, interviews with his family, yes. um, and and a certain amount of kind of reconstruction. Yeah, I don't recall seeing an enormous amount of reconstruction yeah, in no, it. Was all, it? Yeah. It's all sort of setting, you know, particular settings. Yeah. yeah. So they didn't find out about this until. Uh, they found it. Well, at the time his boat was found, it, he was um, on the verge of kind of winning the race. He was he'd, uh, he'd, he 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 was about to sort of come. He was a couple of weeks off off coming home as the fastest competitor. Um, so you know, immediately every, there was this you know huge kind of outpouring of grief, which very quickly turned to sort of anger when people realised that he hadn't actually been around right. the world. Yes. Um, but behind that is a very sort of sad story, really. This guy who who was a sort of small time inventor decided he was a weekend sailor. Decided to mm. enter this race be, in order to sort of showcase inventions that he'd made. Had a family, had four kids uh, under the age of twelve, um, and created a boat for the race, which wasn't ready by the time the race deadline. So he decided to sort of set out. Um, and build the boat on the on the way round. It's not a very good, well, no, good idea. What strikes me about the whole thing is that he's no, in many ways, no less bonkers than some of the other people involved in the in the race. I mean, there's the was he the Norwegian guy? So whilst I've seen it, the but French guy, yeah, the French, I mean, the, he no, kind of turns right. around and just goes back again. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, the, the, <laughs> the, 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 the French sailing Watissier. Yeah, he goes back around the world again because yeah. he got used to all that isolation. That's and right. uh, again, on the point is, of winning the race, he couldn't yeah. face coming home. He decided he'd rather stay at sea. Which is extraordinary. So okay, so that's um, yeah, and that's available, presumably it's available on. Uh, I think it's various on home formats. Like that, yeah. But definitely, yeah. Uh, definitely uh, one of. So you got a co-director on that one. Yes, with uh, Louise Osmond, Osmond, who, who you know was. Because this was actually this was an interesting film. time, wasn't it? It's why I asked you the question about the you know the, the the feature docs not exactly being the road to riches. I didn't mean that as a, yeah. a disrespectfully, no, but true. this. But yes, of course it's true. But well, no filmmaking for other than about the top two percent is the road to riches. But uh, 
um, this was this this film came out at a time when docks were riding quite high, wasn't mm-hmm. it? We'd had the um, touching the void. I think it just come out. Yeah, and, uh, taking forty million. The box yeah, and suddenly so, everybody yeah, suddenly there was a bit of a gold rush, yeah. wasn't there? Yeah. So Pathé picked this one up, mm-hmm, I think, didn't mm-hmm, they? And mm-hmm. so it gave it a push. Yeah, which is is um, yeah subsequently been presumably more difficult to get big distributors like that involved. Yeah, I mean, I think people talk about this as being a golden age of documentary, and there are amazing amazing quantity of great films being produced but yes. I'm not sure that 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 sort of um, you know how many of them translate into into sort of box office hits like that in a very, um, very well looking at it from my side of things documentaries are tricky to play we've mm. played a few recently which just haven't worked we did the first position the documentary about the New York Ballet Company and we recently did the Oscar winning um, uh, Thingy, uh, the, the one that just won the Oscar, about so, um, the backing singers, yes. uh, twenty feet from stardom, yeah, yeah. and we just couldn't get it off the yeah. ground. No, nobody came to say it. So really difficult. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Do you think? What is it? I, d- I mean, I think it's when I, when when we show show films at your yes. place. I always I always sort of dread when you say three days. We'll do three <laughs> days. I'm thinking one one. I know I can fail. No, no, we always do okay. No, we do well with your films. I have no problem showing your films at all. But that, that's fascinating. Okay, so well, we're going to move to some Americana now. Actually, with um, what are they called the low anthem. Which is just? Uh, do you have a, presumably had your trips around America, or is it just something you picked up on particularly that you yeah. like, you heard and liked? Yeah, when I did, did Donor Unknown, um, we were kind of interested in a, making a soundtrack that was oh, okay. Americana based and listened to right. a lot of stuff. And, and, and this, this was, is like this was prime similar. Americana, isn't yeah. it? And I it saw them in Brian actually. Oh, you did! Oh, Great. now you see. The, for the third time this evening, listeners, I'm going to use the word envious. That's, uh, I, 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 I confidently told uh, Jerry at the beginning of the evening, I'm not envious of anything, and then that's the third thing. This is the low anthem. Left Louisiana on the rail line Left Louisiana on the rail line Lost my love before a time
just coming through the pines of Ohio Heard her voice singing in the pines of Ohio Saying bless your soul, you cross that line to Ohio Yeah, bless your soul, you cross that line to
The Pixies from uh, Doolittle in 1989, would you believe? I mean, that was actually, that was the last vinyl album I ever bought. Mm. So that's what, yeah, 89, new music, isn't it? And then suddenly you realise... Yeah, yeah, no, it's not, it's on vinyl. So, um, presumably, uh, that's one you picked, that's one of your favourites, obviously. Yeah, no, Pixies. Pixies, did you see them live? No, 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 we, um, we didn't either. Well, that's the end of that conversation then. <laughs> we're not doing very well, are we? Okay, so we're going to... I tell you what, we're going to talk about one of the films that you've picked now. Um, I'll play the soundtrack from uh, Another Earth and then we'll, we'll have a chat. soundtrack from another earth now that's by somebody odd isn't it it's like they got a strange name yeah mike mike cahill oh it's mike cahill he wrote yeah. the music oh i don't know if you wrote the music no 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 no, no. The, no, no. The see i should like i that. should say that hang on i'm going to type it into the old um what's it called <laughs> imdb there you go no because it's like fall on your sword that was it it's a band called fall on your sword but, oh, okay. But you like that film a lot. I do, yeah, I do. Why? I, I don't know. I saw it. I mean, I either, I was saying, you know, I either see films kind of on flights or in the Oakfield Picture House, which or, is the uh, best way to see any film, way, or, or at festivals when I'm showing stuff. Um, yes, that seems to be any place I managed to see them. And I saw Another Earth, sort of somewhere, you know, between India and 
England. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so I, it would just, have that uh, effect, yes. I, I just found it an incredibly moving film about sort of loss and about about you know the the, the things the, the the paths in life we don't go around because it's about this this uh, this girl whose life takes a particular turn and then who yes. realizes that you know. But the idea that there is somebody else, or there's another version of you out there that took possibly a different decision. Is That's that, right. Yeah, there's a there's a sort of planet that yeah, appears the, on the horizon, yeah, and then so gradually they realise that it, that planet is is the same as planet Earth. It was the year of planets, wasn't it? Because we had that one and the um, uh, Von Trier, right, yeah. with the other planet coming hurtling <laughs> towards the Earth. But this one seems to have a sort of benign uh, presence. Doesn't it? Yes, the other I Earth, think... which kind of gives the film, it actually adds to that kind of mournful feel. Is that actually? Is there another? Yes, that is. Is the other possibility yeah. that uh, up there? She's caused this. She's caused, caused this, this accident, accident which, killed, which kills a family. Yeah, family and, and, yeah, and, and she rather. This is where it lost me. Is when she she went to 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 work for the man whose family she'd killed, and then. Strikes yeah. up a relationship with him, and I always felt that was. I was. I mean, I was obviously meant to feel uncomfortable, but it felt a bit kind of um, uh, contrived to me. Yeah, she she goes to um, to say sorry, doesn't she? And mm. then and then he mistakes her for a cleaning for agent, yeah. <laughs> so she ends up cleaning his house. Yeah, and, at each and point he falls I'm... in love with her. I mean, I don't think it's not reciprocated actually, or it is reciprocated, but she is knows it? she can't go there. That, that, right, and uh, so they in, instead, in the end, she. Uh... But I can't remember whether the Earth is benign. I think it is, isn't it? Yeah. It's because it's not giving anything away to say that there is another version of her up there. But the film never tells us whether this version of her took a different path in life. That's right. I mean, what they realise gradually is that the Earth, the, the other Earth that's appeared on, appeared on the horizon yeah. was exactly the same up till the moment that Earth saw it. And at that point, oh, okay. the two paths diverge. Uh, and that moment is when she is had when the accident. It's when she has the She looks out the window, yeah. she sees the other Earth. OK, so, well, the intriguing question then is, is that the, the Brit Marlin... I'm, I'm sorry, I don't care, spoilers. But the Brit Marlin we see right at the end... Yeah. Because the they face each other, don't they? That's and, right, And yes. it blacks out. Yeah. She's probably just as curious to know... So whatever decisions she made could have been improved by the other version of her. Yeah, and and it's like at that moment also, I suppose you realise that the, the 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 Brit on the other planet has yes. decided to come to this planet. Yeah. So there's a whole set of reasons. Okay, you've won me over. I'm going to go and have another look at oh, it. Oh no, I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the next one we're going to play from a film, Metamorphosis. Wait, is it from a film? No, it's not. It's from Philip Glass. It is from a film actually. It's it is from, from a film. It's used in Thin Blue Line. Ah, um, yes, which is one of your favourite documentaries. Yeah, yeah. The Errol a, Morris, which was film, about what? I haven't seen it. It's it a film terrible. about a miscarriage of justice, about a guy who was done for the murder of a policeman. Um, and the film basically kind of takes you through this um, this gradually unfolding sort of case against this guy and it gradually falls apart through the film. It's a, it's a great film about sort of truth and lies. A lot okay. of people... Are, a lot of witnesses in the film kind of uh, you gradually realize that they're they're not telling the truth and the way the story unfolds presumably it remains cinematic absolutely yeah yeah okay. it, he uses a very early sort of documentary using reconstructions oh, but okay. he uses them as they're completely subjective because they of are the, an interesting the, thing the reconstructions aren't they there are i mean we could do a whole show on that alone that concept of if you start to I, i'm reticent to use the word fake but there is an element of that about it, isn't it? Yeah, I try to avoid them. I mean, I don't. Yeah. I, but I think what's interesting in Errol Morris's use of them is that they're not. That it's not trying to show. You know, this is how it was, which I think is what a lot of people do in documentary with reconstructions. Right. It's like trying to play with 
this is how it might have been um, and and how it might have been is also influenced by the kind of films people have watched who are telling you this stuff yes and, you know, so it's a it's a very different but narrative list. filmmakers are not above that kind of chicanery either are they i mean yeah. oliver stone is a prime example of that kind of thing i always remember being outraged in jfk when uh, they're summing something up and he's they, they describe um the the fbi or somebody hiding a bullet under and he actually shows us this in the film he goes, no, no 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 nobody could possibly have seen that so it's uh, it's a difficult thing to do in documentaries. Yes, it undermines it kind of the, undermine, the, the, but it, your belief in what's going on. But yeah. modern documentary isn't it doesn't shy away from that at all. Absolutely not. No. No. So it's a it's a you know I mean the documentaries I assume you you and I grew up with were like the the BBC documentaries, the family and things like that, which had that extraordinary fly on the wall mm-hmm. feel, which presumably in a more media savvy world we live in now is, is probably impossible. We'll never get to make something like that again. Do you think that would be true? Yeah. Although I think the technology is kind of opening up that in, an, in another kind of way you know people using shooting stuff on mobile phones or being you know or smaller being absolutely involved in the in the events so I think that does happen but on the other end of the scale you have things like you know, Act mm. Killing or Stories We Tell which were two docs this year which both uh, kind of used yeah, and actually used the, the, the process of filmmaking in a way you it was just the most extraordinary thing the Act of Killing was the story of um it was in uh, Indonesia. Indonesia, yeah. yes, where they they got the the the, the perpetrators of these terrible uh, hate crimes to reenact them for a film, mm-hmm. and as you watch them slowly begin to realise what it was that they'd done, it is it's an extraordinarily mm. powerful film, incredibly disturbing film about yes. about human beings, really. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, <laughs> I tell you what, we'll have some happy music then, which was used in the Thin Blue Line. This is Philip Glass, Metamorphosis One.
So you're listening to the Kevin Markwick Show on Upfield FM, and my very special guest tonight, Jerry Rothwell. I'm going to keep using that word. (laughs) You look really uncomfortable every time I say it. Documentary filmmaker Jerry Rothwell. So the next film we're going to talk about is uh, the film that we followed Deepwater with Heavy Load, which is a local-based story about... Yeah, I was in my doctor's surgery in Ringma. Right. And uh, <laughs> picked up, you know, they had an old Mencap magazine that talked about this, this band of people with learning difficulties who did a version of I Fought the Law. And I yes. thought, that sounds great. So, so I phoned them up. And, uh, and basically it's a film about, about a band, some of whom have, have learning difficulties, some don't. Um, and they were formed within South Down Housing in Lewis. Right. Uh, and the film sort of documents... Well, it documents two things, I suppose. The band, as they try and sort of break out of playing, you know, day centres and yes. disability club nights into into the mainstream, and and the impact of making a film about them, which yes. really split them up. <laughs> um, it is an extraordinary film. It's kind of uh, what well, well, it left me with was the kind of joy of life. Really, that's what uh, I felt about it. You know, that for all their trials and tribulations, they were just having such a wonderful time. Yeah, I mean, the great thing about Heavy Load is that, yeah, it is all about the joy of making a, a yeah. noise, a very, very yes. loud noise. <laughs> uh, it's kind of primal, really, and isn't what's, it? And what's sort of beautiful about them, I think, is that they do these sort of cover versions of, of sort of pop hits like yes. really, Kylie's Can't Get You Out of My Hair, yeah. which she sort of screamed in this... this sort of, uh, but it's, it's almost way. pure punk in a way, Absolutely, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's yeah. the most... It's yeah. the purest form of punk we've had since 1977. Yeah, exactly. yeah. But they're not, they're not together anymore. Uh, no, last year, um, I think... During the film, there's a lot of times where, where Michael, the drummer, is sort of, you know, kind of on the point of giving up because really he'd rather be sort of... Um, playing kind of rock and roll and skiffle mm. <laughs> um, and I think last year finally uh, he'd, he'd had enough they'd and, had and, enough. and they'd, they'd been going for about 10 years they played Glastonbury twice wow um, they were you know and, and is that in the film I don't recall seeing no, that. no that was kind oh. of as a, as a consequence of the film of the film yeah. oh, okay so they and, got a bit of coverage and then they um, they've also set up this this you know the legacy is they set up this thing called Gig Buddies which uh, right. is, enables people with learning difficulties to go to gigs because a big issue in the film is that often these day centres uh, there were group homes where people live um, you know it's very hard for people to go out at night and have a social life and, yes. and Gig Buddies is a, is a sort of a, a creation to sort of pair people up um, going out to gigs with people with learning disabilities yeah. Yeah. We, we had a fantastic night at Upfield with them it was just, just tremendous and uh, I think one of my well I have two favourites on the album uh, there's the uh, we love and that was it. It's um, uh, 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 George Michael. Right. We love George Gay Michael. Weekends. Gay at weekends. Because yeah. it's not just not just gay at weekends. <laughs> gay at weekends and during the week. I think the lyric yeah. goes. And of course the the very self self referentially titled uh, <laughs> we're we're all in a film. Here you go. <laughs> Yeah. 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 Yeah.
the one and only Heavy Load, as uh, used on the end credits, yeah? Yeah. 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 Um, that was specially written for the film. Was it written for the film? Uh, we're, all, we're, we're all in a film, Heavy Load, from 2008, would you believe? So we're going to move on to some Rolling Stones now. You picked that out. Give me shelter. That was quite an early... Um, yeah, I guess, documentary, I guess the wasn't first, it? probably the first documentary I saw in the cinema, I think, right. Gimme Shelter, yeah. um, by which the is... Maisels Brothers, uh, oh, who also made Grey Gardens, which See, is I another I couldn't very famous documentary. Um, but this is the story of the Altamont, isn't it? Yeah, and it's mm. the story really of the hippies turned to hell, Hell's Angels and, and the kind of drugs take over and, uh, yes. and, it's, and the Altamont murder. Um, it's, and it's a great, great documentary. But I suppose like all great documentaries, the key is access, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That's what seems to be the, uh, the key to it. I mean, if you look at Act of Killing, that's what, it's the access that filmmaker had. And yeah. presumably this was made, when was it made? Was it, it must have been made around the time it happened, was it? I yeah, mean, 60, I mean, it was made, I think they were invited, made, they were invited to, to, to make, document right. a Rolling Stones okay. tour. So um, they done the Beatles before. Right. And, uh, and uh, yes, and, but they, they obviously, you know, yeah. they, they, they saw what was happening and followed it. And that's the, but they did it very well. Yeah. And it, it the, the, yes. So it was an early example of uh, making a feature length documentary, which presumably requires a different, set of storytelling skills yeah i think there's a i think the difference between a sort of 80 minute doc and a, mm. and a 55 60 minute doc is yeah. there is something very different about the complexity of the story you need to, but you do need you, to tell yeah, but do you find yourself you know resort not resorting it's a, the wrong it, it infers the wrong thing but you know like a, a screenwriter might refer back to their um you know sid field or their uh you know their little little um uh, box of tricks to kind of get over the third act or the second act or the do you find yourself doing that kind of thing uh, with documentaries? That. I mean I think the thing I like about documentaries it's always this sort of dialogue between real life and the messy stuff that goes on and that crops up when you're filming and and the, and the realization that you need to yes. you need to tell a shape story and, the, and that that works in the same way as any other story you know it has a beginning a middle and end it has twists and turns in it but do you find yourself ever thinking well I can't because if I put that in that gives yeah because you 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 are actually Actually, quite you're in a position of quite uh, a lot of responsibility, aren't you? Particularly with somebody like Heavy Load or, or um, uh, perhaps, I mean, Deep Water. You're sort of talking about somebody's memory, aren't you? How you deal with 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 the way people perceive them. But with something like Heavy Load, I mean, you could quite easily have turned it into just a, some sort of knockabout. Oh, look at these very funny people. Which, of course, it isn't. It's not like that at all. So there is an element of responsibility involved. Uh, yeah, absolutely. The people you're you're representing mm. are are still around, and you have yeah. kind of relationships with them. I mean, mm. but you know, audiences are are, are intelligent. You're not, and and I think audiences are kind of looking for 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 stuff that's intelligent. So I don't. I think you think they're aware of they're being manipulated. Well, I think they're. I think they're. I think they're more intelligent than the people that fund and commission. <laughs> and so I think that, that you know often. <laughs> okay. The, the people that fund the commission it will say you know go for the go for the sensation but actually audiences on the well, whole yeah um, i mean i've heard this i've got a little bit of, of of inside knowledge of this and you think well you know i've been asked on one or two occasions to fake certain kind of th reactions to things you think well and i feel very bad about it i don't enjoy doing it at all and presumably you also you, you there must be a line you wouldn't is there a line you wouldn't cross yeah i think i think most documentaries have their own sort of line basically it, it, yes, yeah. exactly. but <laughs> But but certainly you're trying to you're absolutely trying to say stay true to yes. the thing that you observe. I mean I wouldn't I, I've I've 
yeah, there's very, very, very few occasions where I would ask someone to do something again. Partly because when they do it again, it doesn't, right. you know, it doesn't, it doesn't work. So you've really got to be there and capture that moment. But unlike, say, narrative, uh, a narrative fiction where you might have an idea of what the story is at the beginning, presumably with a documentary, mm. going in, you have this idea what it's going to be about this particular thing. But the events themselves may may mm. inform a completely different kind mm. of story. That's and, that's, what, that's what I love about doing right. it. I mean, I love that uncertainty. I mean, partly it takes a bit of pressure off the directing you know yes. you, can, you don't have to come up with ideas no. you know, the, world, the world sort of gives, it, it gives does you it for you yeah. all right okay no, no, that's fascinating all right let's hear um the ronnie stones give me shelter
Rolling Stones, Gimme Shelter. From uh, Let It Bleed, we worked it out, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. With Delia Smith. That, that, yeah, with the Delia Smith cake. That was on that BBC Two show last night. One of those game show things. I must confess to being quite entertained by it. It's a nostalgia thing. Do you find yourself getting more... Are you a yeah, nostalgic yeah, person? Yeah, I'm quite nostalgic. It's yeah. terrible, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, you know, they play school and they actually brought out Jemima <laughs> and Humpty. <laughs> I, found my, I found myself with a tear in my eye. Here's Humpty. Where's Hamble? They didn't have Hamble. Um... So, uh, okay, one of the things, actually, uh, one of the tracks you picked out, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Um, have you seen 20,000 Days yet? That's why no, I haven't seen it. You no. should Is it definitely no? need yeah. to have a look at that one. It's a wonderful film. Of course, it's local as well, mm-hmm. local mm-hmm. film. Well, it's not. Is it a local film? Yeah, they're Brighton filmmakers, yeah, Brighton. aren't they? Yeah. yeah. And these extraordinary shots of him uh, driving around Brighton beautifully lit i mean this is a different kind of documentary yeah, yeah. because it's almost like it's um he, he, it's almost like an internal monologue that we're hearing sort of his his i'm reticent to say version of his own life because yeah. that sounds like he's um telling us a tall tale i don't think he is i think you're but, all, i think documentaries are always about performing you know they're all, yes. people are always performing themselves a little bit yes. and you're kind of playing with that and i think Mm. You know, recently the, the docs have really started to experiment with that. But I suppose, exciting. again, that's part of the sophistication of the audience, isn't it? Is that we're now able to present audiences with far more uh, complex ideas in documentaries than simple, straightforward fly on the wall, this is what happened. Absolutely. Yeah, I, th- I don't think we believe fly on the wall anymore, which is, no, good, right. which is a good thing. Yes, you know, I, I suppose so. Uh, you know, mm. We know documentaries are construction, mm. we know there's a whole film crew behind there, and we want to know a little bit about what that means too. Yeah, I suppose we understand the language of film in a way more than ever also the fact that we can um, in this film 20,000 days he he drives along Brighton seafront talking to Kylie Minogue who's sitting in the back of the car that's kind of lit in this very filmic way I mean it's shot in cinemascope as well and um you know that's a conceit which is uh, not in the least bit real yet we understand a conversation they're having to be meaningful mm. And it refers to something real, I guess. Yes, you know, it, it does. Refers to yeah, it. absolutely. It's him. He's not playing anyone else. No. He's being, you know. No, yeah. and he does the same with uh, what's his name? You know, you're bang out of order. I can't think of his name. What's his name? Ray Winston. Ray Winston, yeah. and all. And it's it's, and of course, the other thing about it is location, which is another thing, presumably particularly in, in a lot of documentaries, is very important, isn't it? It's to understand the location that the story takes place mm. in. Mm. And that landscape. I mean, yeah, I mean, I love kind of using landscapes in, mm. in the film. Yes. Uh, you know, p- you know, partly around just the sort of setting in which your characters are mm. kind of playing stuff out, mm. but then also using, you know, I guess that, you know, sympathetic weather and sort of, you know, things Yeah, like. I mean, Brighton <laughs> gives you an, an, an yeah. immediate cinematic, uh, yeah. you know, who's raining at the beginning of the day yeah. and, and beautifully sunny at the end of it. OK, let's hear some Nick Cave. This is... Uh, People, uh, what's it called? People. People, they ain't no good. People, they ain't no good. Cherry tree 
caravans All the blossoms come sailing down Through the streets and through the playground The sun would stream on the sheets Woken by Sunday newspapers and never read a single word. People, they ain't no good. People, they ain't no good. People, they ain't no Seasons came, the seasons went The winter stripped the blossoms bare A different tree now lines the streets Shaking its fists in the air The winter slammed us like a fist Rattling in the gales To which she drew the curtains Made out of her wedding veil People, And a coffin of wood To our love Let all the pink-eyed pigeons cool Let people live just in no good To our love Send back all the letters To our love Valentine of blood To our love Let all the jolted lovers cry That people, it just ain't no good It ain't that in their hearts they bear They can comfort you, some even try They nurse you when you're ill of health Bury you when you go and die And that in their hearts the bed They'll stick by you if they could Ah, but that's just bullshit, baby People just ain't no good People
your heart with love today Don't play the game of time Things that happened in the past Only happened in your mind Only in your mind Oh, forget your mind And you'll be free Writing's on the wall Just remember, lovers never lose Cause they are free of thoughts Unpure and of thoughts unkind Gentleness clears the soul Love cleans the mind and makes it free Dragons have been bled Gentleness is everywhere Fear is just in your head Only in your head Fear is in your head Only in your head So forget your head And you'll be free The writing's on the wall Just remember, lovers never lose Cause they are free of thoughts Unpure and of thoughts unkind Gentleness clears the soul Love will clean your mind And make you a free your heart i'm going to do that terrible dj thing and talk over the end because it hasn't got an end on it listen <laughs> that's no good is it that's because i was just saying that the um digital when because I, I i took it from my digital copy can't cope with one track running into another it has to be just that so that what's the next track after that i can't remember anyway feel your heart from hunky dory 1972 I'm not mistaken. Is that one of your favourite albums? Yeah, no, it it's is, a great album. Great album. Yeah. It's just extraordinary and doesn't age no. at all, I don't think. And probably part of that um, uh, legacy of you have to listen to the whole album, don't you? Yeah. From yeah. beginning to yeah. end. And it reveals itself over, over time. Anyway, yeah, I'm going to get all kind no, of weird and highfalutin now. So yeah. we'll move on to your, your next film, Donut Unknown in 2010 which is an extraordinary tale. Tell us what it's about. Yeah, well, we came across this guy who lived in an RV on Venice Beach, and it turned out that sort of 20, 30 years before, he'd earned a living by being a sperm donor. And 
that left meant that the kids uh, that were born of his donations mm. were now coming to the age when they could start looking for each other and eventually for their for their donor. Um, and we kind of came to the story, I think, just when a couple of the kids had met uh, each other. So uh, how did you find the story? Um, well, strangely, uh, we were actually rung up by... Oh, <laughs> by, okay. Um, by Jeffrey, the the donor, um, because oh. we were doing some some stuff for the BBC BBC Schools about donor conception and mm. uh, put a shout out for experiences, and and my producer would get these calls in the middle of the night from LA, oh. um, saying this strange thing was happening to him because he just picked a copy of the New York Times out of the bin in his local cafe and discovered right. that the two girls had yeah. uh, had <laughs> met each other and said that their their donor was donor one fifty from the California Cryobank, and he'd realised that was him. So, because presumably the whole point of doning is it's, um, is, it's uh, is anonymity, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, in the states, um, mm. they, donors were anonymous, and so he. But 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 what people who are donor conceived are allowed to do is to find each other, to, yes, siblings rather. Uh, so, right. so they're a bit, they they will know the donor number in the sperm bank that that donor's been so donating. So how, how many children did he actually he had about see? He had 15 that had come forward. Um, mm. But there were some people on the on the database in the States, the the, um, the, the donor sibling registry where, where donor-conceived kids can register, um, who had 104 kids. Wow. Or, uh, you know, so this is like we're in uh, wow. the territory of Starbucks and Delivery Man. It is, isn't it? Yeah. It's, but this, I mean... <laughs> Is this a guy you'd want as your dad? I mean, he is quite an extraordinary character, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, I mean it's a, is he a hobo? Would you call him a hobo? He's not quite a hobo, is he? He's kind of he's, he's put himself about a far, as far away from sort of families and mm. and sort of because um, he lives in this RV in and around the, the Venice Beach area. Absolutely, yeah. and he has to park it up. Presumably avoiding permits, uh, but avoiding yeah, parking he has to, fines. He has, to, uh, he has to move his van once a week for street cleaning on a Tuesday yeah. night. And whilst I was filming, he could only get his van into reverse. So at three o'clock on a Tuesday morning, he'd be reversing around the streets of Venice. Extraordinary. No, I've, I've actually seen him. I've, I've seen him because I've spent quite a bit of time down there. And it's, yeah. But he's he's he, sort of the uh, epitome of the word hippie, really, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. He's kind of you he's, he's, he's remained true, his true, to, and his, uh, true to who he was. Uh, all this kind of uh, so presumably is that it, it didn't seem to me that there was any particular happy ending to this story. I think what's I, I mean I think what what is sort of happy about it is that those kids really needed to meet him. You know, they right. really wanted to know who was this other half of them. They weren't looking for a dad or you know a missing mm. you know a father a father figure but they really wanted to meet who the donor was yes. and uh and so no, it didn't really matter matter who he was not you know jeffrey's a lovely a lovely guy of course living, yes living right on the edge of things but he's mm. a he's a very warm-hearted man and um, extra- i mean he was sort of freakishly good looking wasn't he yeah as a young he, man he looked like he was and now he looks a bit like an eggy pop yeah, yeah. <laughs> but those pictures of him kind of you know laying out on a, a, by the swimming pool well, it was a, g- a gift and, to us as he had done yeah. a little stint in in playgirl oh so right was, is that is that where that <laughs> shot came from yes. yeah no absolutely amazing stuff so do you, have you heard from him since you've yeah no i stay i've stayed in touch with him you he emailed me yesterday actually oh, really? so, I, so i mean usually i kind of stay in touch with the people the films are okay about. so how's he doing he's he's all right it's kind of he's lost his van his four dogs which are in the film each mm. each died so it's kind of he's had a, a difficult time but he's he's still he's still he's still so going how is he now he's late 50s and america's not the place to get old without any any real visible yeah. means of support no, is it yeah 
So yeah. he's he's heading for. Yeah, I mean, he's got a kind of. There are people in that community who kind of support the him. Venice Venice Beach community. Yeah. yeah, which is a thing in and of itself, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, Venice is. Yeah, it's amazing place. place. <laughs> it changes. Yo, from, Venice. Yeah. From day to night, you know, day it's all it's all kind of. Uh, yeah, it's very nice. Tourism and boardwalk mm. night. Yeah. It gets quite dark and mm. bleak. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of in two distinct sort of halves as well, isn't it? There's sort of the nice bit up by the by the end of Washington, and then there's that. That sort of slightly darker end towards Santa Monica, yeah, I always think. Yeah. But uh, okay, well, we're going to have some uh, Jodie Holland because you felt that kind of, some way Americana y. Yeah, felt, we, were, we, were, we were trying to find an Americana soundtrack. soundtrack. Yeah. Oh, right then. Why you went away 
sins in the light of day. When the evening comes around, all my senses fly away. It's nothing but a goddamn shame, is what it is. Oh, it's nothing but a goddamn shame. That's another one of those. But the it's ah, oh, so frustrating. Yujimbi's theme from Wong Kar Wai's film In the Mood for Love, which you picked out. You like? Yeah, I love. I mean, I love films that that leave you slightly confused, and I think that's one where you kind of you don't totally Ambiguous, know what's happened. You mean? And yeah, and the, 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 they've got this kind of mystery about them, but this this kind of it, it's terribly depressing, isn't it? With this sort of sense of longing, you know. Okay, this seems to be I a like theme. <laughs> this is we're, we're uncovering a theme I like here. I like the, yeah. But what is it? Because it ends with uh, him 
going away, doesn't it? Yeah. I seem to remember. And he tells all his secrets to that tree. (laughs) But I just, no, but it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But I I found it an unbearably moving sequence. Yeah. And of course, it's so beautiful to look at. And it's about the best use of slow motion I think I've seen in anything for a long, long time. I said, well, I wonder if it is in slow motion, or is that my memory of it being in slow motion? No, it is, I think, yeah. It's shot by Christopher Doyle, and there's these sort of long sequences. Beautiful kind of 60s uh, dresses that she's wearing. Those kind of... I don't know anything about clothes, but they must have a a, a name. Must have a shape to them. Yeah, Yeah. they do, and I don't know what it is. But they they live in close proximity. But I find it sort of strange that there's all this sophistication, yet they live in this kind of... Close proximity to each other. Don't That's they? right. They're in on top of next, one another, next to each other, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. but really on top yeah. of one another, um, because she's having an. Uh, it's her husband is having an affair with his wife, isn't it? I think so. I think that's the yeah. This is never entirely never quite, clear. Yeah. But then he falls in love with her, and it's, yeah, unbearably moving, I thought. Extraordinary thing. So, because we're running inevitably out of time, because uh, uh, we can talk for England, we're going to move on to your next film in 2012, Town of Runners. Right. Another extraordinary story. Yeah, about this this small village in the Ethiopian Highlands that's won, I think, the runners from there have won 12 Olympic gold medals, and it's only the size of, well, it's smaller than Nuckfield, I think. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, really but but it's, a, it's an initiative, isn't it? I mean, they, they all get up and they all train. Yeah, I mean, it, there was a, a, a... It started with this about 30 years ago. This, this young man became a primary school teacher in there, the PE teacher, and he started getting them running and he realised they were quite good at it and uh, carried on for a while. And he ended up training the, the woman who was the first African woman to win an Olympic gold medal in 92. And, from, mm-hmm. and that, that event sort of inspired a whole the generation. entire village. Um, and now, you know... London Marathon, you see, you'll see, you know, Tiranesh Dibaba, I think she came third this year. Right. She's won f- maybe f- four Olympic gold medals. There's a the, the astonishing sort of culture in the town. And I guess for the film, what we were interested in was less the sort of story of those sort of superstars and more how did that affect, you know, a couple of kids, a couple of teenagers in that yes. town. And so we followed them through their adolescence, really from the age of... 13 to 16, 17. Right, so it was a long, long-term long project then. Yeah, it's sort of, I mean, it took us that long to raise the money for it. So it was retrospectively funded That's would right, be yeah, the, yeah, the nice yeah. way of putting it. But presumably then, uh, what, what kind of... Um, you know, has it brought something to the town? Has it made them... The film has. Yeah, I mean, what we know. what we did with the film, one of the things that happened is the film's been really popular amongst runners. So oh, okay. it's encouraged a lot of runners to go and train there, which has created this sort of mini tourism industry, sports yes. tourism industry in the town, so which brings the economy quite a lot of income been, into yeah, it. Yeah, they've started important. new hotels. And, so this and is exactly funds, where in Africa? It's in... It's in Ethiopia, in, in, Ethiopia. It's in East Africa. Yes. Um, and it's about 250 miles south of Addis Ababa, the capital. So this uh, was all, you know, it was a fairly poor area. Yeah, subsistence farming, um, yeah. kind of uh, very sort of fertile area. Most yes. of the kids, uh, uh, their parents are farmers. Right. And because of the success in the town, they they allow their, their young girls and uh, as well as boys to run, you know, which is kind of unusual in that culture. So presumably then what happens if you get up in the morning and go, you know, I really don't want to be a runner. Yeah, I, I really want to be a doctor. To, I really wanted to find, you know, the kid in the, outside the town. There's this sign saying "Welcome to the town of runners," yes. which is where the where yeah. the title for the film came from, came from. I really wanted to find the kid in the town of runners who hated running. Who hated running? Did you was, find one? Well, he became the narrator in the yes, film. He'd yes, never really right, admitted yeah. to, to to hating running. Right. But he was clearly never going to become a. Because that would be me. Runner. I'd be lying in bed going, yeah. "No, I'm sorry, I'm yeah. just not getting up." 
But then you don't see very many fat Ethiopians, yeah. do you? So, <laughs> well, so, I mean, what's nice is he's become he's the, the kid who who hated running has become it's taken his role in the film, which is as, as the sort of narrator yes. figure, yes. and become the guide for these runners who go and go and uh, and visit the town. So he okay. basically he, he has now has a job really guiding. So, so once again, this has quite an impact, doesn't it? On I mean, again, the yeah. responsibility angle of once you've you know what's that thing about the the act of looking at something changes, changes it. Yeah. it. Well, I think that again, that's that's a that's a lovely thing about documentaries mm. is that they they have this they're, they're about a real place, so they're yes. going to affect. But that then place. you become part of the narrative as well. Yeah, you, do, you I guess you can't you can't but no. Uh, hmm. But change things, yeah. yeah. So, which uh, you can then either take that up or not. You know, I mean, you could just never. You could make your film and go away. But it seems to me that's a lost opportunity. You know, and in many cases, could be quite irresponsible as yeah. well, couldn't it? I suppose. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. I mean, yeah. I'm not sure what what you can give to the town other than. I think my well, my know. theory is that you know that the film is a little sort of a little sort of block of kind of power that people have for a moment. Yes. You know, it's like shining a light on something, and that yes. gives them gives them a bit of yes. power, and and you might as well use that. You know, um, to your advantage, to, to their, their advantage. To their advantage yeah. You know, yeah. you might as well create a situation in which they can use that. And then you have to leave it and go away. But you, yeah. you like you say, you keep in touch. Yeah. Yeah, with yeah. Uh, what they're up to. So we're going to play some music now from. Talk me through this one. So this is from Mahmoud Ahmed. Who? So in the in the early seventies, there was a fantastic kind of jazz and blues scene in Ethiopia. Um, yes, and I Mahmoud know about Ahmed, this from the, the uh, Jim Jarmusch. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, one of the composers on Town of Runners was a guy called Mulatu Estaki, who was a kind of mm-hmm. old, a guy who was at the heart of that sort of scene. Uh, this track's by Mahmoud Ahmed, who who is kind of more on the bluesy end of things in, yes. in uh, an Ethiopian uh, form called Tizito. Which yeah, is a, it's, a, it's a unique sound. I've not heard it any other way. Mm. And Jim Jarmusch used a lot of it, didn't he, in um, Broken, Broken Flowers. Flowers. Yeah. Brilliantly. Yeah. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Eremila, 
Wonderful, wonderful, mad, mad. Is it mad? No, it's not yeah, mad. Yeah, well, Ethiopian yeah. jazz. Not what you'd expect. By, by Mahmoud Ahmed. I think. Oh, see, I'm going to yeah. get this because I just mangle words like that. So, what's we we talked briefly? At, at, I'm going to say it in a showbiz styley top of the show about what you're up to now, but uh, maybe in a bit more detail. Mm. Yes, I'm doing a film about um, called How to Change the World. I think that's the sort of first one that's going right. to come out. Oh, and I it's see. It's about. Um, the founders of Greenpeace in Vancouver. So Greenpeace, you know, this huge international organisation we know now, but it was founded really by a bunch of friends, five or six people Greenpeace. at the centre of it in, wow. in Vancouver in the 1970s, oh, early okay. 1970s. Yeah. Um, so the film is about the sort of first few years of those friends as they go from deciding to sail a boat into a nuclear test zone uh, in 1971 through to... Um, so are we back in the land of recreation or have you got footage? Uh, no, they, they were, of course, green, being Greenpeace, yeah, right. they, shot they shot everything, everything that right. moved. <laughs> um, and luckily we've kind of got back to the old 16 mil. Okay. Um, reversal rushes that they wow. shot and the, the sort of the I've just been given a hundred kind of quarter inch magnetic tapes that I've got to find the, uh, the, stuff the, 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 how, the how it relates to the film we've got but it, um, yeah so very this exciting. is close to completion is it? Uh, no we're just starting just oh. starting to shoot okay. uh, start next week, week weekend in fact oh uh, right so right. you're going to shoot um, interviews and yeah uh, I'm starting with an interview like with Paul Watson who's the, the guy who's um, from Sea Shepherd still right. kind of patrolling the southern ocean um, okay so that that's your most that's the go, most go. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you said you're also doing sort a lot of, of yeah, it. hot on the heels of that is a is a film about uh, a, wine, a sort of convicted wine fraudster <laughs> in the states uh, who, during the finance boom when wine became a big investment thing, oh, um, he made, started he made... to uh, produce it in his Los Angeles okay. apartment. Um, hang on, we'll talk about that in a sec. Let's do some Bob Dylan for the hippies. Mm. Uh, sorry, okay. did I call them hippies? <laughs> I've called the, the films are sort of I think of it as a hippie heist movie. Are they hippies? Kind of, yes, do, do they mind? Being called I think they'd like being called hippies. Oh, okay, let's give them some hippie music then. Perhaps it's the colour of the sun cut flat and covering the crossroads I'm standing at. Or maybe it's the weather or something like that. But mama, you've been on my mind. I don't mean trouble, please don't put me down No, get upset, I am not pleading Oh, saying I can't forget you I do not pace the floor Bowed down and bent, but yet Mama, you've been on my mind Even though my eyes are hazy and my thoughts they might be narrow Where you been don't bother me Or bring me down with sorrow I don't even mind who you'll be waking with tomorrow Mama, you're just on my mind I'm not asking you to say words like yes or no, please understand me. I have no place I'm calling you to go. 
I'm just whispering to myself so I can't pretend that I don't know Mama, you're on my mind I've suffered for my music, now it's your turn <laughs> Okay, I've got to do a break, we're going to run out of time, we need another hour Oh, oh, what's happening? Oh, here we go. <laughs> we got, we've run right out of time. So, quickly tell me about the the the, the fake the fake wine. Yes, yeah, so there's a guy who put you know maybe maybe a hundred million dollars worth of fake vintage wine into the uh, into the wine industry. Wow, uh, and over a ten notice. year period, no one. Well, people had their doubts, but it's a bit Emperor's New Clothes. You know, I don't think anyone was willing to say no. that, it, that the Emperor hadn't got any clothes on. And again, you've got access on this um we've got so we're I, we haven't got access to the, the guy at the center of the story really Kony when we're um we're sort of circling around him at the moment um, right okay. uh, but we have we you know we've got kind of access to a lot of the main sort of players in so it, that's so. that's it's, i mean that's a good bunch of stuff to be getting on with isn't yeah, it totally, yeah so yeah. you know if you get yeah and you, you're not sure you're going to sheffield because that's the big doc fest i think i might be shooting the, oh. every every year yes okay. there's a big sort of documentary, big documentary binge festival sheffield, yeah where uh, Okay. Yeah. All right then. Well, um, we'll play out with a bit of music from Sideways because that's about wine, Brilliant. and it's a wonderful film about being middle-aged. <laughs> um, and it just remains me to uh, thank you very much, Jerry. Thank we could have talked much, much longer, but unfortunately the clock has beaten us. And thank you very much for coming in. Thank you all very much for listening. You know I love you all, and uh, we'll see you next week when our guest will be uh, Chris um, from um, what did I say? Eye Features. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be interesting. So um, tune in then, and I'll see you next week. Bye.